0: thank him for his goodness hallelujah 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 god you're wonderful amen you may be seated in the lovely name of jesus do want to remind you to keep uh, many who are traveling in your prayers Um, some are leaving tomorrow some already left vacations all that that goes with the summer some just got back so let's just remember to keep our brothers and sisters in prayer amen uh, if you look around, notice that somebody's here. It's probably that they're on vacation or something. So just pray for them and in Jesus' name. Also want to mention, this coming Sunday at 5 p.m., Refuge Church kicks off, amen, with their first preview service. We're excited for that, amen. <laughs> praise God, praise God. I'm going to have a team going up to help them. There was a team went up yesterday to do some praying. And uh, I just believe God is going to do great and greater things, Amen. Hallelujah. As many of you saw on the on the TCO prayer room page, uh, there was some who were requesting uh, the, the possibility of a weekly prayer meeting. Uh, I know the men pray every other week and the ladies, I think, once a month. But there was some interest in that, so we put out a little poll. And so uh, we're going to start doing that on Thursdays. However, this Thursday is praise team practice. So what we're going to do is on those nights that there's praise team practice, we're going to call it neighborhood prayer. And here's my encouragement to that on your way home from work, Uh, those of you on the praise team, on your way uh, into uh, praise team practice. Let's pray for our neighborhoods and communities, schools and coworkers, all right? The other Thursday nights, there will be prayer meeting here, and you're invited to come and be a part of that. We'll make that announcement each week. It'll be on the screens, of course, and on the calendar in the the, uh, admin wing. You can see that there. One more announcement I do wanna make is uh, if you saw, if you came in the north entrance tonight, you noticed that there was uh, some work that's already been started, some cones with some tape up. Um, That'll even be a lot more tomorrow, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And probably for the next two Sundays, uh, that north entrance will be blocked entirely because uh, as a part of what the city has been doing there, they will be replacing that parking lot. If you've noticed over by the gate, Uh, all the tar got ripped up, all the asphalt got ripped up because of the big trucks. Well, they're replacing that as a part of what the contract was. They knew that was gonna happen with the heavy trucks. However, that means that entrance and about 20 of those parking spaces will be blocked for two weeks. So here's what I'm asking everybody to do. First of all, as much as is humanly possible, let's ride in the least amount of vehicles. You know, I was thinking about it myself. There's sometimes where I'll drive, my wife will drive, my daughter will drive. So, you know, we'll minimize that down as much as we can. And I'm asking you to do the same as well. If we have to, we'll park some people over on the lawn, um, you know, whatever. But uh, amen. Let's also please leave the guest parking open for when we have guests to come uh, as well. Okay. So I'll talk with the ushers and see if we can't get something worked out to help people. Uh, that might be coming in, but if you get here late Sunday, you might notice there's probably going to be very minimal parking left, okay? So just be mindful of that over the next couple of weeks, and that'll, of course, be Wednesdays as well, too, uh, at least one, maybe two of those Wednesdays while they're getting that done and and completed, so amen. Well, how many of you warm tonight? Well, I do apologize for that. I wish I could do something about it uh, more so. Um, but, uh, you know, we did turn the fans on to try to help circulate. That. that might help a little bit. Talk to Brother Chris and appreciate his help. Uh, but that, hopefully, this little bit warmer temperature in here might help you to remind, be reminded to pray because now we're in litigation with Church Mutual. So, you know, just pray that God would, would see fit to fix that because once that gets done, the roof gets replaced. We've already been approved for the air conditioners, they get replaced. Hallelujah. And we won't have this issue, okay? So if you don't mind sweating, then don't pray. But if it's bothering you, then pray. <laughs> is that all right? Amen, amen, amen. So praise the Lord. Well, at this time, we're gonna go ahead and dismiss our children and our elements class. And is there anything for the stoked or the excuse me, the TCO student ministries? Okay. All of that can be <clears throat> dismissed for tonight. God bless them. Yes, it's good to see Sister Shirley again, hallelujah, praise God, amen, amen, and uh, hallelujah, God is good. Well, and for all of you that are remaining in here, we're going to go to the book of Psalms. I'm going to have you join me in Psalm 107. Now, I know on Wednesday nights we've been teaching from whatever we're reading during that month and I'll get to that in just a minute. So I, I know we're reading Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, etc. Uh, but I have got something to share with Psalm 107. You'll see how it relates here in just a moment. Psalm 107, and I'm just gonna read the first three verses to open up this message tonight. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Going back to verse 2, just momentarily, those first few words. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to teach tonight the testimony of the redeemed. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord, let your living word preach your written word. And make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture, Lord Jesus. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked. And let every spirit be convicted and converted by your love and truth. We bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. And would you say amen? Amen. As you know, back during the months of February through April of this year... We were blessed to hear many testimonies from this very pulpit. And whether or not you gave yours publicly, I want everyone to know you have a testimony. Amen. There's power in your testimony because your testimony reveals God's love, grace, mercy, truth, and all those other things in your life. Jesus taught that one who is forgiven of much will worship much. In other words, those who've been redeemed do not have to be reminded or prompted to praise God. They're just going to do it because they know where Jesus has brought them from. And they know without God they would be lost and hopeless. Now again, as I already alluded, some of you may be wondering, why am I preaching from Psalm 107 when we're reading Galatians through 2 Thessalonians this month? well, one of the recurring themes of those epistles I just mentioned is the word and the and the concept redemption. It's also the main theme of Psalm 107. And so, as I begin to pray, felt the Lord tell me to teach on Psalm 107, and of course, in my you know lovely. Finite ways, I'm like, well, Lord, it's, it's Galatians through, you know, Second Thessalonians. And God said, no, preach on 107. I know God, but it's, it's Galatians. And finally, you know, I, I gave in because God likes to be God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So we'll let him win. So let me just briefly take you and show you some connections to redemption real quick. In Galatians 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. In Galatians chapter 4 and, and uh, verse 5, it's talking about him being born of a woman under the law. And verse 5 says, to redeem them that were under the law. Amen. So again, redemption. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 7 and 14, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace." And verse 14, "...which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory." Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, "...grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption." And Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So, it is upon the leading of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to preach and teach from Psalm 107. But please know, it fits perfectly with the theme of many of the books we're reading this month together. God's judgment, amen, Praise God. Apologize, I just jumped ahead of my notes here. There we go. How many of you know that God balances His judgment and His mercy? How many of you know sometimes God's merciful with His judgment? Sometimes God has to take that mercy away. Well, in Psalm 107, it focuses on God redeeming a remnant. From Babylonian captivity now quickly let me just remind you that after Solomon the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms Israel went north to Samaria and uh, two tribes the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and the Levites stayed in Jerusalem and became the southern kingdom known as Judah later the kingdom of Israel the northern kingdom would be uh, enslaved by the Assyrians And the southern kingdom, Judah, would be enslaved by the Babylonians. And so this psalm is being written to celebrate the return of that remnant, mostly from Babylon, but no doubt some as well from uh, Assyria. Can I tell you this, that God always has a remnant. You can look through Scripture and you'll see that God always has a remnant. Despite the sin of the majority of both the northern and southern kingdom, there were men like Daniel and Jeremiah and Nehemiah and Ezra, the three Hebrew boys, Ethan the Ezraite, Heman. There was also Esther and Mordecai, So many other unnamed men and women who would not bow their knees to the false gods, amen, that others would bowing to. They would not partake of the perversion of their captors. And so Psalm 107 was thus written by possibly one of those who was of that unknown remnant who became a worshiper of God. Yet, being inspired by Almighty God, he writes and describes how redemption is seen when you lose your way, your will, your health, your hope, and your home, and points to the fact that it is God who redeems us. Amen. Let me talk about first for just a little bit about redemption when you lose your way. In verses 4 through 9, let's, let's open our Bibles and take a look here at Psalm 107. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. Pay close attention to verse 6, because it comes back around three more times. And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation, Also, pay close attention to verse 8. It also repeats three other times. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Today, if you were to travel from Babylon, which is in Iraq, and go to Jerusalem, which of course is in Israel, it would take you about 15 hours in a modern vehicle. Uh, It's about 750 miles. Uh, It would only take a few hours on a plane if you happen to be on a plane. However, if you lived in 539 B.C. and you're leaving Babylon and you're going back to Jerusalem, it's going to be quite a long journey. They didn't have cars or buses. They didn't have trains or airplanes. In fact, I doubt they even had animals and carts to pull them. And if they did, only a few did they had been enslaved they had lost everything and now they were given their freedom but that was probably about all they had besides the clothes on their back they're released from their captivity but they had a long and difficult journey ahead of them and so it starts this psalm opens about that and reminds them hey you lost your way and it's not that God is trying to be vindictive, but I have a feeling that every step of the way back of that long and hard journey across the desert was to remind them, don't make the same mistake again. You ever done something and learned your lesson and glad you did, and the next time you, you didn't make the same mistake? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever not do that? You know, and you make it again, you're like, man, I should have remembered that. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I could imagine that journey of 750 miles approximately. They were remembering, I don't want to lose my way again. God's redeemed me. I don't ever want to get back into the place where I have to, I've lost my way. And yet, the 107th psalmist explains that God would redeem them even though the way would be dangerous. Huh. You see, Scripture does bear out that God did bring them safely back. Why? For when God promises something, it's going to happen. God cannot lie. Hallelujah. They wandered, not knowing the way, but God led them safely. Amen. Can I tell you that the same is true today? That if you've lost your way, and and you want to get back to God, if you'll start making your journey, He'll guide you and help you. Amen. He'll bring you back if that's really what you want to do and he'll bring you safely back amen they were hungry and thirsty again they had been enslaved I doubt the Babylonians said here by the way here's 20 bucks for your bus fare you know here's 50 bucks for some food I doubt that happened so how did they eat how did they survive that's a long journey and even if it is modern vehicles that's a long journey But God sustained them. Somehow He provided. Somehow He led them where there was some sort of fruit tree or something that could have fed them as this remnant returned. This journey would have been filled with thieves who would take advantage of travelers. And even though this was probably a larger group of people, They probably tried to isolate them. And so God protected them against any potential thieves that would have been along this journey as well. And if there were thieves, God rescued them and and protected them. They did not have a place to call home and did not know what they were returning to. And yet God provided them a city to inhabit a place to live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's what's beautiful, and I love it when the Bible does this. Have you ever found where you read something, and and then you read later in another, sometimes a different Testament, and and it's like the same, you're like, whoa, that's the same thing. And if you've got a Bible that has like the cross-references, have you ever looked at that and seen where different verses are, are, are mentioned? You know, some Bibles will go, some study Bibles will go as far as to highlight and set them off against the text and show you, and there's a little footnote, and you can go and you can see where it's quoted from. Well... This verse of Psalm 107, verse 9, Mary, when she goes and meets Elizabeth and finds out Elizabeth is also pregnant, with, with, uh, would be John the Baptizer, she quotes from Psalm 107, verse 9, and says, He hath filled the hungry with good things. So part of Mary's song of praise stems from Psalm 109. She borrowed a lyric if you will, out of that psalm and song and sang it as praising the Lord. I tell you, I am so glad that God knows what we need and when we need it. And I'm grateful that He's still today in the redeeming business. I'm still thankful that if I've lost my way, God will help me find it again. I've gone through plenty of hard times, but I believe I can join David and say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed-begging bread. Hallelujah. Something you'll notice if you were to continue exploring Psalm 107, and I alluded to it just a moment ago, is that verses 6, 13, 19, and 28 are identical. Each of them call upon the Lord in a time of trouble and God delivers them. But also, verses 8, 15, 21, and 31 are identical. These call upon those who have been redeemed to praise God for who He is and for all He has done. Hmm. We'll get into that a little bit later, but just kind of keep that nugget there. Now let's talk about redemption when you lose your will. Let's look at verse 10 of Psalm 107. Such as set in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought them down with hard labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Amen. So now we're looking at what happens when you lose your will. See, Israel and Judah had rebelled against God. They were what we call practical atheists. They knew God existed. They just did not believe He would judge them for their sin. It's a lot like we see today in people who claim, Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, but they don't believe he'll punish or judge them or, or hold them accountable to his word. They just believe, well, you know, I'm good, I, I pay my taxes and all this, so I'm just going to go to heaven, you know, automatically. Really? Okay, because I don't see that verse in here. And I'm not trying to be coy or, or rude, but let's be honest. If, if goodness alone was all it took, why did Jesus have to come and die? You know, to minimize sin is to minimize the sacrifice Jesus paid for sin. Amen. So Judah and Israel had rebelled against God. They had lost their will, though, because now they were enslaved. It's one thing to lose your way. It's another thing to lose your will. But that's exactly what sin does. It causes you to lose your will. You become a a slave to sin, to the flesh. But again, a remnant repented. A remnant called on God. A remnant was delivered. And when they surrendered their will back to God, fully submitting to Him, God heard their cries and delivered them. The, The psalmist here describes in detail, the chains and 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 the 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 imprisonment that had taken place for those who were captives, but God broke those in asunder. Those were literal chains. Those were literal uh, uh, imprisonment. But how many of you know that God has also delivered us from emotional chains and and from addiction chains and other types of bondage, and He's broken them in asunder and set us free. Praise God. God led them from darkness of slavery to the brightness of His freedom. God broke and destroyed the chains and the bars that enslaved His people. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. It will enslave its victims with guilt and fear and shame. But when one repents and surrenders their will to God, He forgives. Why? Because He delights in mercy. How many of you know that when when one is baptized in his precious name, all those sins go down. All that muck and mire goes down. All, oh hallelujah. But when they come up, they come up robed in Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you know that when one is filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, that they receive Christ in them, the hope of glory, and are empowered and equipped to walk in newness of life? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Once and for all, through His blood and His name, the chains of sin, guilt, and shame are broken and destroyed. Hallelujah, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus. I can imagine with every step of the way, they rejoiced, I'm free. Psalm 47, I believe it is, says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of drum. Can we just kind of clap for just a minute? Just do that. Now, I want you to think about what you just heard. A lot of scholars believe that, that that verse exists and others that talk about clapping to mimic or imitate the sound of chains falling off. I wonder if on their way home, every once in a while, one of them would just start clapping. I'm free. It's... it's Also likely that they might have been chained in such a way they couldn't have clapped. Of you know, one hand here or here, or, or you know, the chains didn't come far enough, or, or if they were clapped in irons and, and attached to some mechanism that they had to work with, but now they were free to clap. So I want you to think about that the next time you praise God. There's a sense of freedom. And when you hear that sound, and all of a sudden somebody over here, and somebody over there, and somebody back there begins to clap, oh, thank you. I'm free. There's, there's no more chains. Uh, I'm not bound anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's talk about now redemption when you lose your health. Verses 17 through 22 of Psalm 107. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Calling those who sin and rebel against God fools This 107th psalmist brutally explains why they were enslaved. Their bondage was brought on because of their transgressions. Because of their iniquities, they became afflicted. They could blame nobody but themselves. Therefore, they were fools. That's interesting to me because twice the psalms say that the fool has said to his heart, there is no God. And at least in one of those, one is in chapter 14, the other is in, I think, um, 50 uh, or 52, somewhere it's in the 50s. But in both cases, one of them is dealing with practical atheists who believe there's a God, but yet don't believe He'll judge them. You know, I don't want God to call me a fool. (laughs) I don't want to get into a place where by my foolishness, I have brought upon myself transgression, and iniquity. But because of this, their soul abhorred the very meat that they were given. And this wasn't a good thing in the sense that they didn't want to eat it because it was offered to idols, like Daniel. There's probably two reasons why they didn't want to eat it. Um, Prison food probably isn't all that good. It's probably stale and moldy. It's probably just not fit for animals, probably. So that could be one reason. The other reason could be that they were just so overwhelmed with guilt, they didn't want to eat, or probably a combination of both. Either way, it contributed to very poor health physically. Can I tell you that sin will take you down a path you don't want to go? It won't won't just affect you spiritually. It'll affect you emotionally. It'll affect you physically physically. It'll affect you relationally, it'll affect you financially. It'll take you further than you want to go and, and cause you to pay more than you wanted to pay. Hmm. But when they called on the Lord, God sent His word and healed them. He restored life into them what's interesting about this is the way the psalmist words it he sent his word and healed them you want to talk about some powerful word how did that word get to them did, did they hear a prophet come along did somebody proclaim it and it and it echo over the mountains I don't know but somehow the word of God came to them in their prison in their bondage And they realized, wait a minute, something's happening. And not only did it encourage them emotionally, but it physically healed them. I believe we can still use that verse today. And as we preach the word of God, according to Mark, he'll confirm it with signs following. Praise God. I got up at our Nebraska conference, and I said the night I was supposed to preach, or did preach, not supposed to, the night I did preach, I said there will be a demonstration of the spirit and power of God. There will be miracles, signs, and wonders that will confirm the word of God. There were at least two notable miracles done. I didn't touch anybody. I didn't lay my hands, and I'm not not against laying on of hands. Don't misunderstand me. But God did the work. That's how God works. He sends forth His Word and heals Him. I don't know how the Word got to Him, and I don't even know what the Word was. But I know when it, when it came into their ears and into their being, something happened that began to transform them. And the same is still true today. When the Word of God goes forth, set up and pay attention, saint of God, because it has power to heal, power to save, power to deliver. Hallelujah! I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Let me tell you what else it is. It's not ineffective. Listen, I want to speak to you, Pastor Danny, when you preach this coming Sunday, when you declare the word, if it's one person or 10 persons, declare it boldly because the word of God is not ineffective. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you pray the Word of God, Saint of God, in your homes, when you speak it over your family and your unsaved loved ones, it has power because it's His Word. Hallelujah. You ever got to a place when you're praying and you're like, what do I say? What do I do? You feel like you still need to pray, but you don't know what to say. Two things are happening. Either one, you just need to be silent and let God speak. But if that's not the case, start praying His Word. Open up the Psalms. Open up the New Testament. Start praying Scripture because there's power in the Word of God. Amen. Praise God. Israel's sin and slavery brought them to death's door, but God's healing word brought life forevermore. I love it when I hear and see the testimony of someone who was bound, excuse me, bound to an addiction, drugs, or something else, and I see them healed and delivered. Have you ever seen the before and after pictures of people that God set free? Have you ever looked at the before picture and said, are you sure this was you? I saw one recently. He was a preacher, as a matter of fact. God delivered him. I'm like, no. And I, I had to bring him up close together and look. And you know, Yeah, the eyes match. The rest doesn't, though. Wow. That's how God works. Amen. He can take the most sin-sick-looking individual and turn him around. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's the image I get. When we read verses 17 through 20, they were emanciated. They, 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 they had lost their physical strength. They, they, you know, ribs were starting to show because their body just was clinging to and flesh was eating, uh, you know, their muscle inside. But all of a sudden God's word comes and not only does it encourage them spiritually and emotionally, but physically they begin to be healed. And they leave strengthened and renewed to return to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just pause for a moment. How many of you have been delivered from something? Can can you just pause and do what verse 21 says? Praise the Lord for His great love and for the wonderful things He's done. Can you do what verse 22 says and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving? Can anybody sing joyfully about His glorious acts? Thank you, Lord. You didn't have to save me, but you did. You didn't have to love me, but you did. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I bless you and praise you, Lord. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's now talk about redemption when you lose your hope. Verse 23 of Psalm 107. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters... They see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep, for He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord, in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad, because they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders." If you were to look on a map, there's not very many waterways between Babylon in Iraq and Jerusalem in Israel. In fact, possibly the largest body of water they're going to cross is the Jordan River, and it's not that big. At some places, it's only about half the length of of one of these sections. This, This main section here in the middle. It's not all that large. It expands a little bit at some places, but, you know, if you're standing on one side, you could easily lob a rock or something to the other side without really too much effort. It's not a big river at all. And, and I looked on the map to verify, and there's not a whole lot. If their route took them by the Sea of Galilee, then that's the biggest place and body of water they would have gone. And the Sea of Galilee, while it's large, it's seven miles one way and 11 the other way, it is a large body of water. It's, there's not a whole lot of water and, and while there's boats on the sea, and that's the sea where the disciples were on when the storm rose up, you know, it, it stands to reason. So what a lot of uh, scholars do is they say that this must be metaphor for uh, a storm that a person is in metaphorically. Well, I don't entirely disagree with that, except to say he describes it in such rich detail that, in fact, of all of Scripture, It's the most detailed of, it's even more detailed than Jonah's storm. So if it's a metaphor, why do you go into all that detail? Why not just say a storm blew in and God delivered it? So this scholar thinks it was a literal storm and here's why. The Babylonian Empire had a lot of ships. It extended across a vast expanse that included the Mediterranean and Very possibly the Gulf that that, that led the Persian Gulf that led into uh, the Indian Ocean. And so they had a lot of ships in their navy. Therefore, it's likely probable that he's referring to some who were enslaved on those ships. It's even further likely or Probable that the psalmist himself might have been one who may have been on the ship or known someone on the ship. So I don't think it was metaphor. I think it was a literal storm. And if he wasn't on that ship, he heard from someone who was there and gave him the detail and God inspired him to add it into scripture. Does that make sense? Because it is extremely detailed. And yet, once again, we see the redemptive power of God that when they call on Him and they're in the midst of this storm and they think the ship might go down, oh God, and in their distress and in their storm, He calms it. Now here's what else is interesting to me. The disciples that were chosen to follow Jesus were Jews. They would have, you may not have known Psalm 107 had a storm in it. And if you didn't, that's okay. You're you're not going to flunk Bible study class tonight. So don't worry, okay? If you you now know, I'll ask you next week or have Jeremy ask you. And if you don't remember, then you'll flunk. But, But, you know, tonight you get a pass. All right? But the Jews would have known Psalm 107. Here's what it tells me. Why were they afraid on the Sea of Galilee? Why didn't one of them say, hey, wait a minute, guys. What are we bailing water for? Uh, God can calm a storm. Because our ancestors called on a sea, and Psalm 107 records that he calmed a storm. Why didn't one of them say that? Probably because they do the same thing we do. We forget. We get into a troubling situation. Oh, is God going to bring me out of this? Just once, I wish God would say, yeah, I've done it 114 other times. You know what this also tells me? That if God does it once, he can do it again. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today. (laughs) You know what that tells me? That if you're in a literal storm or a metaphorical one, guess what? He can calm your storm. Amen. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This time, as the psalmist ends this fourth segment, he calls upon those who survived the storm to exalt God publicly and before their national leaders. In other words, don't you just tell a handful of people. You better tell everybody. You better teach this in Sunday school. You better talk publicly about it. You better go to the national leaders and tell them what God has done. Why? Because it was a miracle. This also tells me that the Babylonians would have known this was a miracle. They might have attributed it to some false god they served But I got a feeling that they might have believed, like Jonah's account, that the true God is the one who delivered. Hallelujah. You know what this also means? Since God has been good to you, you don't have a right to be silent. Since God has delivered you from the storm, you have a right to shout His praise and testify what He's done for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Next, I want us to consider redemption when we lose or when you lose your home. Let's go to Psalm 107:33. Psalm 107:33. He turns rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness and for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turns the wilderness into a standing of water and dry ground into water springs. And there he makes the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesses them also so they are multiplied greatly and suffers not their cattle to decrease. Again they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction and sorrow He pours contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. In this last segment of the psalm, he shifts from the focus of sin and its trouble and draws our attention to God alone. We know that God opens doors no man can shut, but He also closes doors no man can open. In other words, these verses I just read in this final segment highlight the sovereignty of God over everything. God's judgment was to fulfill His word, but not for the purpose of harm but rather to heal. In other words, God spoke. Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, and others and prophesied that they would go into captivity. Micah prophesied it. Other prophets prophesied it. It wasn't to harm them. It was to heal them. Think of it like this. Possibly in Omaha, but probably more likely in a larger city like Los Angeles or Mexico City or some other large, large metropolitan area at the same time simultaneously there is a, a crime being committed with a knife and a surgery with a sharp razor to make a decision both of them are sharp instruments both of them will draw blood both of them will cut into the body but that's where the similarities end the knife crime is meant to hurt Whereas the surgery is meant to heal. The surgeon ain't doing that to, hey, I gotta cut somebody. Yeah! No. He or she is guiding that very with, with precision and very carefully. Just that, right? I'm not trying to make anybody gross. I'm just, but get you to think. When God speaks his word and it's a word of judgment, it's not meant to harm you. It's meant to get some sin called, cancer called sin out of you. And that's what, he, that's what the psalmist is describing here, that, that God sent his word. God brought these judgments. God did these things. Why? Because there was sin, and he had to rid Israel of that sin. The Bible does say judgment begins at the house of God. Hmm. Ultimately, though, God's judgment was poured out so that redemption would also be poured out. You see, Jesus gave us a principle. He said, you don't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. Why? Because the old wineskins will burst. The new wine will fall out and spill out. And he compares that to humanity. So he has to first make us pliable and new so that he can pour the new wine into us. Right? Here's what's interesting though, missing from the final segment of Psalm 107 are the repeated verses calling for God to, de- to deliver, that's verses 6, 13, 19, and 28, and the repeated verses that call for people to praise God for his deliverance, 8, 15, 21, 31. There's no, uh, they called out in their distress and there's no, uh, the Lord you know, delivered them and, and you know, all men should praise him. There's none of that. Instead, this final passage is all about God. And so it's assumed that the remnant would have repented. And therefore, in verse 41, and I'm going to read it from the New Living, it says, but he rescues the poor from trouble and increases their families like flocks of sheep. So at this point, the the repentance has been assumed that it's already happened. And so the writer doesn't have to retake us back to that repeated phrase. And therefore, he doesn't have to also say that men should praise God because it's, it's assumed that men will. He just simply says, God rescues them and then increases them. Hmm. Did you notice that? Not only does God bring them from captivity to a new home, He also blesses exceedingly abundantly. He increases them. You know, kind of sounds like something we're reading this month. Told you we're going to get back to Ephesians and Philippians and all that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto Him that is able to do And abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. (laughs) Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without any man. Also kind of sounds like something in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply most of your need according to... Whoa, what? Oh, Oh, you're awake. Okay, some of you. God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. Amen. Psalm 107 reveals God's mercy within His judgment. He could have annihilated Israel and Judah. He could have said, sorry, Assyria is going to wipe you out and so is Babylon. I'm starting all over. And let all of them die. But He was merciful to a remnant who repented. He did the same thing when he looked down upon the earth and he repented that he'd even made man. And as he's looking down, apparently Noah must have been looking up because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Same is still true today. If you'll repent, if you'll call on the Lord in your time of need, he will hear and he will answer. He'll turn trouble into triumph. He'll exchange your sin for his salvation. And all you have to do is ask. Hmm. So I think all of you here tonight, hopefully, if not, tonight's your night, <laughs> that you've repented of your sins, been baptized in his name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. If not, again, tonight can be your night. And if you're watching online, You've not done those things. Take advantage of today. Don't wait. Don't wait. The Bible says, and I'm going to go back to the first couple of verses one more time from Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good for His mercy endures forever. Let The redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Is there anybody here that would just like to stand to your feet with me and say, God, I'm thankful that you set me free. I'm thankful that I'm no longer bound. Lord, we stand to our feet to praise you, to let the redeemed of the Lord say so in this place tonight, to declare boldly And unashamedly that you have delivered us from sin. That you have brought us out to bring us into your church. And we praise you for it, Lord. And we glorify you, God. And we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Glory! 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 There's nobody like you, Lord. There's nobody like you, Lord. Oh, come on, let's just take a moment just to love him a little bit, to bless him just a little bit. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. And now I encourage you to tell your testimony to others. Co-workers and friends, neighbors and loved ones, share it with them because you've been redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God bless you in Jesus name. Let's be the church. Hallelujah <laughs> hey, 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 hey.